Welcome to Spielin' and Dealin' the Georgia High School Basketball Podcast. I am Kyle Sandy, the owner and founder of SandySpiel.com. And with me today, as always, is the producer and moderator of the podcast, Ramin Forgani. Ramin, the 2018-19 GHSA basketball season has officially come and gone. The state championships, all 16 of them, have been wrapped up. I went 11-16 and 16 on my predictions, 11 out of 16 on my predictions. Uh, an okay week for me. The games were very good, much better than last year's. And uh, I guess we got to wrap everything up, put a nice bow and ribbon on the 2018-2019 season with a quick rundown of what happened this past week in Macon. Indeed, it's all over 18-19. Yeah, unfortunately, I was not able to be down there, but it does seem the uh, scores were definitely a lot closer than what we saw last year, and a lot of good games and buzzer beaters as per usual, but we'll start with the game that occurred going, uh, I guess, temporal order, chronological order from the earliest to the first on day one, March the 6th, a private girls, Holy Innocence versus Wesleyan. Holy Innocence beat Wesleyan 75-48. to Holy Innocence finally beat Wesleyan, um, I should say, and they uh, led that buzzer to buzzer there. Kyle? Yes, they, uh, they thoroughly dominated this one, and you were right. Wesleyan never won. The game was tied, or never led. The game was tied for just 35 seconds. They got the job done. And they took care of business in a big way. Jill Hongshed was just way too big inside with 25 points and 10 rebounds. She was a big factor why. Holy Innocence outscored Wesleyan 38-24 to in the paint. Uh, Jada Farrell came on strong in the second half, had 15 of her 18 points in the second half, collected six rebounds. Um, Rachel Settle grabs 12 rebounds in this one. Um, but who was really good for them, who won the, the battle of the sophomore guards, was Sierra Foster. Um, outplay, outplayed Paige Lyons here with eight points, six rebounds, eight assists, a block, two steals. Uh, Lyons had 11 points with five of 16 shooting. Um, did not have her best performance. Played okay, but did have five turnovers as well. Um, Holy Innocence did a nice job of not letting AC Carter really dominate this game. Now she's still got her 17 points and 10 rebounds, uh, but just not enough firepower. And Wesleyan was behind the eight ball the entire game, and they just got nothing, really just did not get anything from Izzy Larson and Callie Weaver. They combined to go 0 for 12 from the field and had just one point combined. So, you know, that's two starters right there that just were not able to affect the game whatsoever, and Holy Innocence uh, really took it to them and stepped on the gas pedal in the second half to really blow past them. And uh, things are changing at Wesleyan. Things are changing. It sounds like there's going to be a new head coach at Wesleyan, making a coaching change, unless there's a, a last-second decision to keep Coach Azar, but it sounds like she is on her way out, and that will be uh, very interesting. There's already, already been rumors as to who will fill in if this is uh, this is true. Uh, it could be someone that used to uh, be under the tutelage of Azar, uh, but we'll let the mainstream media put that out there first. Uh, but uh, be on the lookout. It sounds like... Wesleyan will be making a coaching change unless there is a last-second change of heart. But Holy Innocence, extremely impressive, dominated from the opening tip to the final buzzer. In A private on the boys' side, St. Francis topped Elka 73-69 to after trailing 49-48 to heading into the fourth quarter. St. Francis, a 25-point fourth quarter led by Dwan Odom to win this one. 
This was a very good game, and Ramit, it went right down to exactly what we talked about. How will Elka respond when they face adversity, when they go down four or six points in the fourth quarter? Are they able to get back on top? Who is going to step up for them? Um, I don't know. I think after uh, St. Francis took that lead in the fourth quarter, uh, I don't think Elka ever uh, recovered or ever took the lead back. Now, Elka did not just fall away they were they tried to keep it close hit uh, it hit some threes and hit some free throws and you know kept scrapping but they ran out of time and once St. Francis took took control in the fourth quarter uh, Elka again was just playing catch up the entire time um but you know St. Francis led for the majority of this game Elka only led for just under five minutes uh Dewan Odom was the star that we knew he had to be and uh he was huge he, he took over in the fourth quarter I mean um, had 11 points in the first half, did not score in the third quarter, and then he scores 17 of St. Francis's 25 points in the fourth quarter to put the game on ice. So he had 28 points to Xavier commit. Uh, Jusson Holt was really big. He, he, he started this game off in a big way, scoring the first eight points of the game for St. Francis. Uh, he stepped up with 16 points, nine rebounds. Uh, very impressive from the the six six sophomore. Uh, also had five assists, so he was key. Those two guys were the only two in double digit scoring for St. Francis. But you're looking at Elka; they had four guys in double figures. KJ Jones was great, knocked down five threes. Um, the senior can really shoot the ball. A guy that can you know really play at the next level with his outside shot and his six four frame. Uh, he was great. Makai Cameron playing with that injured shoulder. He had 17 points. He was very steady. Uh, Felix Uadiale 16 points, nine rebounds, two blocks, and Trevon Reddish 12 points, nine rebounds, nine assists. Yeah, the key moment here. Uh, I thought was when Odom hit that tough loader in the lane over Reddish with 129 left to push to 67-62, and I thought that was kind of a Dwan Odom signature moment in a St. Francis jersey hitting a tough basket like that to win the game. But it was it was a really really good game. Um, Elka just fell a little short, and you know just Dwan Odom being the best player on the floor, he really carried his team to the finish line. Uh, but Elka, you know, UADLA really did well in the paint there especially in the second half he was affecting things he was scoring inside um but Dwan Odom uh, just too good down the stretch and they got some big moments uh big points from the freshmen's uh freshman uh, Jordan Brown and then Seth Hubbard those two guys combined for 14 points and they really helped St. Francis stem the tide and even Kai Simmons who didn't do much in the first half had two big blocks to try and uh, thwart anything Elka had going inside but at the end of the day Dewan Odom 10 of 14 from the field 2 of 3 from the three-point line 6 of 9 from the foul line had four steals 28 points and St. Francis captured the state title. In a public on the girls side Marion County beats Calhoun County 50 to 38 for the for their first championship in school history it looks like this one was a 12 point game um, and Calhoun County was struggling offensively Region 1 play of the year Kanashis Inoker I hope I did not butcher that name went scoreless 0 for 12 from the field but the stat that really jumps out to me looking at the box score Kyle was Marion County getting to the foul line 30 times yeah, and they just had uh, – Calhoun County had no answer for Ansley Whitley. Um, she was just living at the foul line, just so athletic, so big, just so tough, so active, 20 points, nine rebounds, three blocks. Um, she's probably going to end up being the uh, uh, Class A Public State Player of the Year. She was really good. Ashley Whitley, uh, she got to the foul line as well, six of nine, 12 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, those two sisters were just – 
so huge going out with the bag. And then Jamisha Williams, 13 points and six rebounds and four steals. So that was the big three right there. Um, that is what, looking at it, 30, 40, 45 of their 50 points coming from the big three of Marion County. Um, they took it to them, out-rebounded Calhoun County 40-27, to 27, uh, had 26 points in the paint. Uh, really, really, really hurt Calhoun County inside. And Takiya Davis, she was in foul trouble early on and could never really get momentum in this game for Calhoun County, a, a shot blocker. Um, she was on the bench a lot. She played just 13 minutes. She really couldn't affect the game. And Anno Kerr, like you said, 0 for 12 from the field, 0 for 8 from the three-point line, zero points. You needed more from the Region 1 Player of the Year. Um, and it was just really tough. And their three-point shooting, you know, 3 of 26, Shots were not falling for Calhoun County, and Marion County was just bludgeoning them inside, just pounding away, pounding away, pounding away. And, you know, Marion County did have 25 turnovers, um, but just the strength inside was way too much, and they really overpowered Calhoun County and the Whitley sisters. Go to Virginia Tech for softball, but they're going to Virginia Tech, going to Blacksburg, going to have a nice ring on their finger for a state title in basketball. On the boys' side of the A public, still on that uh, Wednesday, March the 6th, Calhoun County did beat Trutland 69-67. to Calhoun, Calhoun County captures their fourth state title on the boys' side after what and caps off an undefeated 32-0 season after what appears to be a frantic pace, tough fourth quarter that came down to the last 30 or so seconds, Kyle. Yes, and Trutland finishes their season with two losses, both of them to Calhoun in close fashion. But, you know, I was looking for what will the sophomore Tykavius Curry do? What will he do this game? And uh, he came up big in the second half. He was really big in the second half. Um, and he, he, he took care of business with the last play of the game, you know, racing down the floor, having the game-winning assist um, to Quandarius Powell to really stun Trutland and, and, and finish that undefeated season. Uh, but Curry, 16 points, a lot of that damage coming in the second half. Uh, Jamad Wiley was hitting big, 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 big shots. He was hitting huge shots with floaters down the lane. Um, he, he was great for Calhoun County. He made some big-time plays. Uh, he finished with a, a, a team-high 18 points, and Juwan Wiley had 13 points as well. Um, Brian Smith was kind of shut down. I think he had maybe two points in the second half for Calhoun County after his heroics in the Final Four. Trutland did a nice job slowing him down, but Curry had 12 of the 16 points in the second half and had that game-winning assist to knock off Trutland. And Trutland, they, they out-rebanded Calhoun County 46-31. to uh, Trutland had 25 offensive rebounds. They were crushing the glass. Uh, guys like Arcavius Lovett had 15 points, 8 rebounds, and he was hitting some tough shots in the lane late. Uh, Cameron Jordan was just really active at the guard spot all over the place, 14 points and 11 rebounds. Um, and James Bird stepped up big off the bench. He had 17 points and 7 rebounds, and he gave him a, a nice lift. Uh, but just not enough, just not enough. That final possession not defending the inbounder, um, letting them get the ball in and then pass it right back to Cavius Curry, and then Curry going down before he loses his footing, drops off a dime to Powell. And uh, Calhoun County, they finish off an undefeated season. Very impressive. And, you know, at this point of the year, if you're undefeated, you're undefeated for a reason. I think all our undefeated teams ended up winning the state title. Um, and, you know, that that's 
that's just what you play for. You, you do it all. Curry made the right play at the biggest spot, and the sophomore is going to be wearing a state championship ring in no time. And Calhoun County, they're going to be really tough again next year. On day two, March the 7th, this is all at the Macon Centriplex, by the way. 2A girls' side, Douglas beats Early County 57-51. to 51. Um, it was competitive up through mid-second quarter, at which point 4.35 remaining in the second quarter. Uh, Kayla Sesbury 3 gave the Lady Astros a 21-18 to 18 lead, which they would hold on to to help Douglas capture their school's first state title. Kyle, what did you see in this one? Well, Douglas, we thought they were the best team in Class 2A all season long with all the results they were able to draw against some of the toughest competition in the state. And they were able to prove it, but Early County did not go down without a fight. It was a nice nip, it, but in the in the second half, uh, they were they did a really good job on Michaela Timpson. Now Timpson finished with 20 points, 14 rebounds, five blocks, and four steals, and she was great for Early County. But she only had 16 shots, and she only took um, I don't know I, I I'll have to check, but she had maybe like three or four shots in the second half or fourth quarter. Uh, they really limited her touches. And, uh, you know, when you go away from your most dominant player in the classification, uh, that hurts them. Just looking at the stats here, uh, Timpson had 12 shot attempts in the first half, and she finished the game with 16. So only four shots in the second half uh, was something that I, I knew they needed to get her the ball some more, but I was shocked to see she only took four shots in the second half. And uh, Douglas, when they fouled her out with 228 left, uh, I thought that was game over, but uh, Early County had some girls really step up. Jordan Eford, the freshman, she was really good, 10 points and 9 rebounds. Tazia Jones uh, kind of got it going a little bit late in the game, but Sia had 7 points and 12 rebounds. Janaya Williams, uh, 21 points in the, the final four, hit five threes, had just five points, was 2 of 11 shooting, 1 of 8 from 3. Uh, she was not able to knock down those outside shots to loosen up the defense. Uh, but looking at Douglas, Nakia Thompson going to Jacksonville State, she was great, 23 points. Um, and then Caleb Pruitt, this was the Caleb Pruitt game off the bench. She changed the game. She helped out on Timpson defensively, a big body with the soft touch, 12 points, 8 rebounds, 4 blocks off the bench. The senior really went out in style, stepped up in the biggest spot, the biggest game of her career. Uh, she was fantastic, Caleb Pruitt. Off the bench, um, she was she was terrific uh, for this uh, Douglas team, and uh, it, it, you know it, you ha- you need players to step up in moments like this. You know, Kenya King was just one of ten from the field. She had her twelve her twelve rebounds, but she was not able to score inside. But Kayla Pruitt, six of thirteen with those twelve points, uh, she was big, big, big for Douglas all throughout the game, and that presence off the bench. Uh, really helped Douglas because, you know, she scored all 12 bench points for Douglas. You take away those 12 bench points, uh, it's a completely different game. But Caleb Pruitt stepped up in the biggest moment, and Douglas was able to capture the state title. On the boys' side, another very close one. Still in 2A, Theral 51, Vidalia 49. This one was one we previewed in our preview podcast. Zyquan Morton, he wasn't even on the Max Preps roster. We talked about what the second dimension he can bring with his three-point shooting. And boy, was he important in this one. In addition to him, Kyle, this was really a game of runs. Back and forth, momentum swinging, and it seems like Theral had the last laugh. Yeah, and Zyquan Morton... 16 points in the first half. 16 points in the first half. Finished with a game high 19 points. And uh, if you're Vidalia, 
that's all you could ask for because in the first half he had 16 points, Armbrester had six, and Rashawn Frederick had five. Only three players scored, but Morton, he, he flings it up there, and he can knock him down, and he finished five of eight from the field, three of five from three, six of 17 from the foul line. Um, and that was huge, and that's that's all they needed. And they were a second-half team all season long, Farrell, and they had a one-point lead uh, going into the break. I knew they had a really good chance as long as uh, everyone else kind of rose their, uh, their their play just a little bit. But Vidalia, um, Xavier McClendon going down with the injury, only able to play eight minutes. That really hurt after he had a, a double-double in the Final Four um, without him. Uh, that that really hurt, but you know they they did a great job defensively. They outscored Thurl thirty four to twenty two in the paint, uh, but points off turnovers. Thurl had twenty four points off turnovers, uh, was limited to only two fast break points, uh, but they just got enough. They just had enough firepower. Roman Sun really stepped up big, uh, ten points all in the second half. Hit some big shots late in that fourth quarter to ice it. And uh, Vidalia, you know, they had that steal. Sean Edwards had that steal uh, at half court. Or, you know, I think it was Moody might have had the steal. But then uh, Edwards had it, and they called a travel on him. Uh, that was a tough call. And, uh, you know, it was it was a really well-played game. You know, Vidalia went to a 2-3 zone in the third quarter and got outscored 11-9, to but they held him. Held Farrell to 11 points, the lowest uh, scoring output in any quarter uh, in this championship game. The only problem was Vidalia could not score. They only had nine points in that third quarter. Uh, but it was definitely a terrific game. Torian Mall had 14 points off the bench for Vidalia. Did a lot of damage in that first half there. And if you're just looking at, you know, what what the 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 weaknesses of Farrell were, you know, they were 13 of 26 from the foul line. If you take out Zyquan Morton's six of seven free throw shooting, it was even worse. And they were four of 12 from three point line. And, you know, you take out three of five from Zyquan Morton, uh, you're looking at an even worse, uh, three point shooting percentage. But, you know, he was, they, they inserted him into the lineup late in the season and he paid dividends, uh, made this Farrell team more than just a one trick pony of dumping it inside. And, um, not just one dimensional anymore and you have one floor spacer that changed the entire dynamic and he had 19 points in the state championship game and Farrell was able to win the state title they got just enough free throw shooting and just enough three-point shooting to win the title on to 3a on day two this is a storyline we've been following with and we've been wrestling with all season on the girl side Johnson Savannah, Hart County, Johnson Savannah out of Region 3. Um, they beat Hart County 54 to 50. Um, and it's again a Savannah team that comes and repeats and wins 3A, Kyle. Yes, and this was a really, really good game. Uh, Hart County did not play well whatsoever in the first half, but they they went into the break, I believe, only down four points after a buzzer beating three from uh, Jamai Cutter to make it 29 25. And Hart County, they were getting some momentum, getting some momentum. They won the third quarter 12-7. to Torian Starks was starting to get going. She finished with 15 points, which she had four fouls. And the, those fouls put her on the bench in the fourth quarter. Um, Tania Alexander had 21 points and 11 rebounds. Uh, but they just did not get enough from that third scoring option. Shakendra Grove, five points, eight rebounds, which is two of seven from the field. Uh, Asira Teasley had seven points. Uh, but just not enough firepower uh, from the third options. And you're looking at Johnson. Johnson had a good game. Jasmine Thompson really was huge in the first half. She she took it too. 
um, the interior of Hart County. I think she had about 16 points in the first half, finished with 20 points and eight rebounds. Uh, Jemai Cutter did not shoot the ball particularly well, but she had 13 points on five of 19 shooting. Uh, but, but the biggest, the biggest moment here, um, definitely was just down the stretch. Um, last five points of the game to make it 53-49. Now, I know they hit a late free throw to make it 54-50, but uh, Kyla Hankerson, the freshman, only hit nine threes hitting this game, just pulls up on a transition three and knocks it down, and then she sinks two free throws after uh, uh, Johnson really struggled from the foul line at one point in the fourth quarter. She made two free throws to ice it, but... You know, it just came out of the blue. Her only five points of the game come, uh, what, in the last minute or so. And uh, that's all That's all Johnson needed. They just needed one player to step up, and it was Hankerson that was able to step up and make that shot and, you know, really pulled it out of nowhere. But uh, championship teams, they've, they've been there. They've done that before. And uh, someone stepped up for them, and it was Hankerson tonight. Or not tonight, but, uh, you know, last week, and she made the shot. And uh, that was it. Once she hit that that three, that was a that was definitely a dagger. And um, Hart County just could not knock down any open looks after that. Abigail McLean had a shot at it. Teasley had a shot at it, uh, but were not able to sink it. And Johnson, a well deserved championship run, uh, beat three teams from Region Eight, which I think Region Eight was probably the best region um, all season long in Class Three A. Uh, but Johnson was able to handle their business, and they pulled it out late, and they are able to repeat as state champions. The last game on the second day of the state championship, March the 7th, I think it would be that Thursday down in Make It. It was 3A on the gentleman's side, Morgan County versus Hart County. Um, Morgan County defeats Hart County 68-54. to Unfortunately for Hart County, both their girls and boys team get to the state championship and uh, unable to bring home a ring. But Morgan County, um, they win the third i want to say or i should repeat they beat um hart county for the third time this season and if you've heard the podcast for any length of time you know how hard it is to beat a season or beat a team three times in one season but they did it to capture their state championship and morgan county had 19 turnovers just eight from hart county but uh morgan county just the just the skill the size the athleticism again it's like talking about Hart County on steroids, a little bigger at every single position, a little better at every single position, a little older at a couple positions. Uh, but they definitely deserve this one. Tyron Lawrence had 19 points, 18 rebounds. Stephen Green had 14 points. Alec Woodard, 13. And Malik Crawford, who uh, got eligible late in the season, added 11 points as well. Um, out-rebounded Hart County, 40-26. to 26. Uh, Hart just could not find that offense. Rex McCord had a good game, 19 points and 11 rebounds with a lot of hustle, but Sean Webb was not able to get going until late in the fourth quarter. Uh, he finished with 11 points and five assists. Tyrese Morrison had 10 points, uh, but Elijah Robinson and Jordan Langston, they combined for just 11 points, just not enough firepower for Hart County. Uh, Morgan County was really in control pretty much this entire game. And uh, they were just too strong. Uh, Hart County did have 17 off turnover, uh, but Morgan County was just too powerful. Uh, and they, they, this game was really never in doubt. Um, just came out to really play. Tyron Lawrence was great uh, with those 19 points on just eight shot attempts. He was three of four from the foul line, 
three of four from the three-point line, eight of 12 from the foul line. They were 21 of 28 from the charity stripe and Hart County. They were they were playing catch up the entire game, and they just were never never ever never able to put um, much doubt into the mind of Morgan County. And Morgan County, they beat in Hart County many times before, and they've beaten a lot of teams before. And uh, once they had an early lead, uh, they were not going to let that one slip away, and they were able to put the pedal to the metal uh, in the in the in the second half. There, slowly started to pull away, pull away, pull away. In Hart County, they never gave up, uh, but just not enough um, not enough dogs at their fence to catch up with Morgan County a team that are already staked to a double digit lead. On the third day, uh, Friday, March the 8th at Macon, we'll start with 4A on the girls' side. Carver-Columbus topped Spalding 56-44. Another uh, motif we mentioned earlier, Carver-Columbus caps off a perfect season, 32-0, to and they um, finished the finished the task they tried to do last year, um, winning the championship, pal. Yeah, they got their revenge on Spalding, and this was a not very well-officiated game, especially in the first half. It was... Uh, I believe 14 to 5 on fouls, 14 fouls on Spalding to Carver. Uh, it did not make a difference at the end of the day, but definitely the fouls were really lopsided. Carver was getting a, uh, you know, got a, got a lot of calls there, but they were definitely the better team and they were the best team in the classification all season long. They went 20 of 29 from the free throw line. Uh, Olivia Cochran had a strong game, 15 points, 11 rebounds. Had two blocks, two assists, two steals. She had a lot of people knocking down on her door. Uh, a lot of college coaches making in-home visits. I saw Louis, Louisville. Uh, I, I think my, maybe Kentucky was in to see her as well. Just a lot of schools starting to pop and offers and stress. So um, she's one of the best players in the state. And uh, she was able to wear down uh, Spalding inside. Uh, Jalen Shaw had 13 points, 14 rebounds. Always been a fan of her going to uh, West Georgia, a really good rebounder for her size. Uh, Kiana Gaines, 11 points, 5 rebounds. Um, Sadria Mabry, Mabry had 10 points. Uh, Janiah going to Columbus State, she got hurt, uh, and she had to watch the rest of the game from the sidelines. Uh, but luckily, Carver was in control. They held Spalding to just two points in the third quarter to really put this one out of reach, and they won 56-44. But uh, Coriana Evans, uh, she was really, really good again for Spalding. I know Olivia Cochran's great and dominant, and she's got all the high major offers, but Coriana Evans, I mean, just look at the numbers, 21 points, 18 rebounds, four blocks, three steals. I mean, if you're going up against the best post player in the state of Georgia – um, she put up better numbers in her, and she was, you know, just as effective. So Coriana Evans, I know some low major schools are really interested in her, but um, considering the way she plays, I don't know. She might be climbing up some recruiting boards. She is very talented, uh, but she just did not have enough uh, help tonight, or not tonight again. Uh, did not have enough help last week. Anaya Jester really struggled. Uh, went four of eighteen. Was getting to the basket was trying to throw her body into defenders, and she was creating contact. And I'm sure a lot of times she would get those calls with the referees. They were just not buying it, and they were not allowing her to get to the foul line. Uh, took just five free throw attempts. Finished with 12 points, six rebounds. Had seven turnovers, but did have six steals. But uh, she just was not able to get to the foul line and uh, missed a lot of close shots inside through traffic. Wasn't getting any whistles. Uh, but, uh, you know, a tough way for her uh, to end the season, uh, which is her and Evans in double figures. Um, and, you know, Spalding out rebounding 
uh, out rebounded Carver 43 to 42. Um, but again, you know, Carver just so athletic, so deep, so balanced. Um, a lot of girls that could score the ball. Carver was the best team all season long, and they were able to prove it, and they were able to get revenge against Spalding. On the boys' side of Class 4A, Kyle Carver, Columbus tops America Sumter 58-55. to Carver, Columbus bringing back two championships, um, which is huge. And this is a story where crazy game. Um, Carver, Columbus only led for, what was it, the last 49 seconds after A.J. Watts hits a go-ahead three. America Sumter, of course, the great story, beating St. Pius and beating ups and lee and beating all these teams to get here and unfortunately they fall a three short after leading most of the game yes america slipped for 29 minutes and 44 seconds uh they were in control for pretty much this entire game until aj watts hit a three uh what i guess it was a falling down no he banked in a three to uh what was it to give them the lead or to uh tie this game up um, yeah, he banked in a three from the right wing to give um, Carver their first lead with 2.12 left at 51.50. And then later on with, um, what was it, he, he hits a three falling down to give them the lead for good, uh, 55.54 with 13 seconds left. And that really just stunned America Sumter. Um, but, you know, Watts had 19 points. Uh all of his field goals came from the three-point line. He kind of really fell in love with that three-point shot, but it, it came, came around in the second half, and they 20 from deep. But Devin Flowers was the one that kept Carver in the game the entire way. Uh, tough little guard, 18 points. He was hitting some timely threes throughout. And then Jalen King helped out, 12.7 rebounds. He hit some free throws down the stretch. But America Sumter, they, they had this one. They were in control. Um Largest lead was nine points. It was never a, a huge lead, but Josh Lusane uh, had a great game, 19 points, 10 rebounds, was 8 of 12 from the field. Uh, he was really good, uh, but he just did not get that big performance from Trey Brown. Trey Brown was phenomenal uh, all postseason, beating St. Pius, like you said, beating Upson Lee, beating Sandy Creek. Uh, but Trey Brown was just one of seven, the junior, one of seven from the field, had four points was not able to really give that big support to Josh Lusane, that one-two punch. Um, Q Willoughby had 10 points along with Wallace Bradley, um, but Trey Brown just was not able to really affect this game like he had the entire postseason. And A.J. Watts, uh, he, he's, a, he's a dog, he's a killer, he's a Region 1 Player of the Year along with Lusane, co-player of the year for a reason, and he made the big shots down the stretch. And uh, Carver uh, really, really did stun America's Sumter uh, was out rebounded by 13 rebounds, but those nine threes, they shot nine of 20 from three. Uh, America Sumter just one of 10. Um, and AJ Watts hit the big shots down the stretch, and they made just enough free throws uh, to really close it out, going six of 10 for a quarter. And uh, a heartbreaking loss for America Sumter after a, a tremendous run in the postseason. Also on day three, now moving down to 5A, and Kyle, 5A still belongs to Buford. On the girls' side, Buford beat Villarica 67-59. Um, Buford 29-2 on the season. They spoil Villarica's perfect season, hand them their first loss. And, yeah, what did you see in that game? 
Villarica was running Buford out. They were not running them out of the gym, but they were running Buford crazy with DeAsia Merrill cleaning the glass, her outlet passing, and just her passing overall the Kentucky signing. She was phenomenal. She was just getting the ball, rebound, and then just – and, you know, tossing outlet passes to half court and beyond. And that was sparking a lot of fast breaks. And they had eight fast break points. Now, it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but uh, Bill Ricker led 33-29 at the half. Eight of those points, fast break points. Um, and they led 28-20 to at the 219 mark uh, when Coach Gene Durden got a technical foul. And the officiating in this one was bad again. It was bad. And it was, you know, this is kind of tilted in favor of Bill Ricker. Uh, but the you know the fouls started to even out in the second half. Um, but Merrill controlled this game, but she did not take enough shots. And in the second half, Buford limited Villarica to just two fast break points. DeAsia Merrill only took ten shots, and that that cannot be the case. She had eleven points, fourteen rebounds, five blocks, two steals, eight assists, but she had eight turnovers. And Buford forced Merrill out of the paint and made her become a passer on the perimeter. And the big strength for Villarica and the big weakness for Buford was that Buford did not have any size that could compete with DeAsia Merrill down low but DeAsia Merrill was never down low and that helped Buford win this game they forced her out to make her a facilitator now T. Wyndham was great for Villarica especially in the first half she had five threes had 21 points and she was really good but for DeAsia Merrill to be held to just 11 points, that tells you that Buford was able to execute their game plan well. And in the second half, uh, Tate Walters really broke free. She had two points in the first half. Walters finished with 16 points on the game. Uh, she really made her presence felt, knocked down some big threes. Uh, Preston Reed, uh, you know, sparking that press. Uh, her and Blair Wallace. Blair Wallace is really good off the bench with 11 points, but Buford just throwing multiple bodies, playing 11 players, uh, and Villarica was not able to do so. And then the fouls started to pile up. You see Aaliyah Hensman foul out, Nia Hensman foul out, Kendall Coleman foul out. That's two of two of your five starters fouling out, and Villarica just did not have uh, you know enough options to turn to on the bench. And uh, the fact that Buford out-rebounded Villarica – 38 to 34 and had 16 offensive rebounds uh, that was qu- kind of shocking but again that goes into the fact that DeAsia Merrill was not in the paint enough and did not get any post-up opportunities or just you know just was just just to be in the paint she had zero offensive rebounds all 14 of her rebounds were defensive rebounds and I know if they could do it again I know Villarica would have tried to get her some more touches especially in the paint but they were unable to do so and Buford that's why you never pick against Gene Dirt and coach team in the making centerplex they always find a way even though Villarica probably had a 70 to 30 uh, advantage in the crowd uh, just the inability to establish Merrill that really came back on Villarica and Buford Buford was not shooting free throws that well in the fourth quarter just 8 of 16 but you know by the time Buford stretched that lead out you know, it just wasn't enough time to really start fouling and prolonging the game. And it kind of got away quickly and, uh, you know, just unable to knock down shots on the other end to close the gap, Villarica. Uh, but a really tough way to end the season uh, for Villarica. And uh, Buford executed their game plan and was able to win another state championship. Kyle, on the boys' side, Buford beats Fayette County 76-69, to and you mentioned the officiating earlier. This got a little traction on your Twitter. Was it a block or was it a charge? Tied 58-58 with 438 remaining in the fourth quarter. Yes, so you mentioned it, 58-58 with 438 left. 
tie ball game. Uh, Marcus Watson takes it to the rim. Me, I took a lot of charges back in my day. I thought that was a charge. Now, I know Trill Bradley shuffled his feet just a second there, and people want to argue he didn't take it square on the chest. You don't have to take it square on the chest. It, it, it's, it's still be a charge. It can still be a charge if you know if you hit into the shoulder or you know half of the side and you only hit like 60% of the chest. It does not have to be exactly square on the chest for it to be the charge. And I'm going to watch this back uh, right now, Ramin. I'm going to give you one last opinion on this. I'm going to watch it right now. That's what I've been doing. I've been playing it back, looking at it, and boy, I don't know. It's tight. I, I, I you know, I'm calling a charge because last game, I know it's different officiating crews, um, but I guess uh, who, who was it? Buford went in for a layup, and uh, it was a clear, a clear block, but they called it a charge, and the inconsistency. Uh, uh, of the call and i know you know talking to a referee they said that, well they have the arc on the floor and that might have uh gotten the mind of one of these officials uh, but we do not have the the arc on the you know the charge circle in high school basketball it is it is not supposed to be used and uh you know just looking at it, that that's got to be a charge and i'm not going to say that that swung the momentum of the game but it did ignite an 8-0 run and um that helped put the game away uh and i, I don't want to say that was a, the, the play that changed it um but it, it was something that did ignite an 8-0 run uh but Fayette county uh they started knocking down threes in the second half uh, Ricky Knight was phenomenal with 26 points, 8 of 12 from the field, 6 of 8 from the three-point line, 4 of 4 from the free throw. That unsigned senior really rose his stock. Uh, Jacoby Coleman had 15 points, knocked down three threes. Josh Dupree uh, did his thing with his athleticism and playmaking ability, 12 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists, and Trail Bradley had 10 points. Uh, but the story here was uh, Buford was just too big and too good between Marcus Watson and Eric Coleman. And Buford out-rebounded Fayette County 42-23. to um, They took 38 free throw attempts to Fayette County's 22. There were 28 of 38 from the foul line. But Marcus Watson, 33 points, 10 rebounds. Eric Coleman, 25-9. and nine. Um, Those two guys were just wrecking balls. And that was the one thing I kind of worried about. Uh, I said, I know Fayette County's going to have to make threes to win this game. And they were 9-24. of 24. They did a good job. Um, but could they hang with Coleman and Watson looking at two six guys? Uh, and they really had great games. And, and they shot the ball well. Eric Coleman, three of five from three. Marcus Watson, four of seven from three. Uh, Buford was eight of 19 from deep. Uh, and that was really an equalizer right there, uh, knowing that Fayette County is an excellent three-point shooting team for Buford to nearly match their three-point output. Uh, that was huge. And just having the two, you know, the best guys on the court and Watson and Coleman, uh, just too big, too strong and made plays down the stretch. But again, I know, uh, Fayette County, they're always going to look back to 438 left on the clock. Terrell Bradley taking that charge was called a block and sparked an 8-0 run. And really after that, uh, it, it just, just was not enough time left to really, uh, regain momentum and get back into it. But definitely Fayette County. Nothing to hang their heads about. They had a hell of a season. Uh, a lot of those guys are, you know, they look like all college players. That entire starting five looked like all those guys could help college programs. Uh, and they had a great year, but just too much Marcus Watson, the best senior in the state of Georgia. Uh, I will say that 
you know, I thought that before the season and his, his uh, state championship performance um, makes me even, uh, you know, solidify uh, that opinion that Marcus Johnson was the best senior in the state of Georgia this year. And uh, his 33 points and 10 rebounds um, out in style before he heads to Oklahoma State. Our last day, day four on March the 9th, we'll start at 6A, the 2 o'clock game. Lanier versus Lovejoy. Lanier tops Lovejoy 52-45 to using a 21-8 to fourth quarter. Uh, outscoring Lovejoy 21-8 in the fourth quarter to capture Lanier's first state title in a game that I know you were shocked by, Kyle. Um, I tried not to overthink that, and I was harassed relentlessly by the uh, Lanier coaching staff even before the game and i was told to eat my words after the game uh, but lovejoy they really uh they really fell apart in the fourth quarter and i know tim slater said we want to make this a rock fight and they made it a rock fight and they swung they slung their um their little uh their little rock and uh, it cracked goliath straight in the nose and uh lovejoy had no answers and uh it, it was it was wild to see. And now Anaya Boyd had 15 points, but she had six turnovers. Genesis Bryant, who's been so clutch throughout her entire career, uh, she fouled out. She only had eight points. Um, but they really did not get really anything from Gianna Robinson, who was their third, you know, their third stalwart out there. Uh, one of six, just two points. And I think that was one of the difference makers right there with Gianna Robinson not able to affect this game. Uh, that really, really hurt Lovejoy. And uh, just 3 of 25 from the three-point line, uh, they were not able to crack uh, that defense Lanier was you know, bringing to them. Lanier, they hit seven threes. Uh, Nala Lawrence, probably about five foot three, had 10 points, hit three threes. Uh, but a player that really stepped up for Lanier was Lizzie Campbell, the junior, uh, coming off the bench with Cristobal Azuma uh, in terrible foul trouble pretty much the entire game, it felt like, picking up her two fouls just like uh, 90 seconds into the first quarter. Uh, but Lizzie Campbell, eight points, eight rebounds, one block. She was really big inside. Uh, but, you know, just the, the playmaking from Searles in the fourth quarter really took over. McCampbell had eight points. Uh, everyone just played into their role, and they held Lovejoy to 36% shooting. And 21 to eight in the fourth quarter. I mean, I mean, it, it was uh, it was really wild. Uh, but Tim Slater and you know from where he's come, you know, the day before he was about to accept the big boys job, I'm sure that school is really kicking themselves now after they did not win another state title with a lot of talent. Um, even though they, they did hire a really good coach, but this Tim Slater did uh, being a you know coming to Lanier. And taking this program to the next level, uh, you got to give a lot of credit to his coaching ability and getting his girls to buy in and that toughness and that chip on their shoulder and the, you know they're the hateful aid and no one respects them. Uh, but they really shocked the nation, shocked the state, shocked everybody outside of Lanier uh, when they won that state championship. And, uh, they just relied on their toughness and somehow they were able to crack uh, what I thought was the best team in the state of Georgia all season long. Down to the boys' side of Class 6A, Tri-Cities beat Tucker 46-43 to in another great back-and-forth game. It was 41-41 to with 117 remaining in the fourth quarter. And then what happened from there, Kyle? 
Well, Demarcus Johnson, the human microwave, happened. He had five points going into the fourth quarter. Tri-Cities was shooting miserably, was not able to get anything going, but he got hot. But the real point of this game, the turning point, was when Jermonte Hill fouled out with 14 points for Tucker, the leading scorer in the game. He was efficient. He was really, really good. He fouled out. He fouled out. Um and that really changed the entire game. He fouled out with uh, 435 left in the game, I believe. And uh, Tri-Cities outscored Tucker 13-4 to um, after they were trailing 39-33 when Hill fouled out. Uh, they held Tucker scoreless uh, from the field of four field goals in the fourth quarter and uh, held them to just six points in a low-scoring game. And then Demarcus Johnson, it's all over Twitter. It went viral. The pull-up three to drill it at the buzzer. Um, what a way for Tri-Cities to cap off the season. They were probably the best team all season long. They were number one-ranked team coming to the state tournament. They won the toughest region in the tournament. Um and they 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 really earned this one, but boy, seven twenty four from deep. They started knocking down shots in the second half. Tucker was just zero of six from the three point line. Um, but I, you know, if Jermonte Hill doesn't foul out, um, woulda shoulda coulda. Uh, I think Tucker probably could have won this one. They had a lot of momentum, and Hill was just having their way uh, with Tri City smaller guards, and that size of Tucker was really affecting Tri-Cities. And, I mean, it was a low-scoring game, 46-43. Uh, but Nate Ogbu had some good moments. David Gideon, um, you know, Gideon had nine points and nine rebounds. And I take that back on Ogbu. Uh, going to Dartmouth, he did not have a good game. Two points, six rebounds, one of nine from the field. Um, Division one player, you got to step up bigger than that. And if Ogbu just had an average game, uh, they'd probably win this one. But, you know, he had four fouls, but he just he did not play well. And it was really Jamonte Hill that carried this team outside of Gideon who gave them those nine points. And Raylon Barry, the freshman, who had some nice moments throughout the game with eight points. But the region player of the year, Watson, 0 for 4, 0 for 3 from the three-point line, finished with two points. Now, he did hit those two late free throws to tie the game up at 43. Um, but boy, oh boy, uh, both teams shot 34% from the field and uh, Demarcus Johnson, just enough to get this championship with that late three. He had 13 points. Peyton Daniels had 12 points. He took a lot of three pointers. He was not really attacking the basket as much as I thought he should have been. And Titus Hunter, 11 points, a region five player of the year had a huge offensive rebound late in the fourth quarter to set up, uh, an extra possession. And then Demetrius Reeves, um, gave, a Tri-Cities, their first lead of the game, or I don't know if it was their first lead of the game, but one of their, you know, their first lead of the fourth quarter, I think, a 43-41 with 25 seconds left uh, on a breakaway layup uh, through traffic. But uh, that was a great game, and Demarcus Johnson, um, he, he hit that dagger, and that is a shot that will live in infamy. And uh, he is, uh, you know, he's a living legend is what everyone's talking about. And those South Fulton Lions, uh, they really showed up and showed out in Macon. Yeah, if you haven't seen that video, it's on Kyle's account. It's a bunch of it's on a bunch of other you know local news feeds, and there always seems to be one every championship game, one signature game winning shot. This year is Demarcus Johnson in six A. Last year um, we had one, and always look something to look forward to. But yep, Jacoby Owens last year, Warner Robins. That was uh, that was one of the few good championship games last year, and uh, luckily I was in the right place at the right time, able to capture it, Ramin. And, uh, hey, that is uh, February frenzy, March to May, and that's what uh, GHS basketball. 
Yeah, Jacoby Owens, thank you for reminding me there. Down to 7A, Westlake girls side. Westlake beat Collins Hill 60-53. to Westlake got out to a quick lead. They finished their season undefeated, by the way, but they got out to a quick lead on Saturday, and that's all they ever needed. They were able to hold off a charging Collins Hill late to repeat as back-to-back state champions. Yeah, Westlake led the entire game. You said it, a quick start to really get out in front. And then they took a, a, a 32-21 lead into the half. Uh, but then Collins Hill, they, they went to the press, and that got them back in the game. And they closed in. They got, you know, they, they really they trimmed into the lead. Uh, Jordan Relaford went down with the injury, and that kind of sparked Collins Hill. And they rallied around. And it was 42-38 going into the fourth quarter. But Westlake uh, made just enough plays down the stretch. Uh, Lydia Freeman had 16 points, 9 and uh, Snoop Turnage really turned it up with 14 points and seven rebounds, and Carly Hook seven points. Uh, but David Nicholson, she took over during the stretch in that second half, going to Georgia, had 17 points, 15 rebounds. Uh, she was trying to do everything she could to carry this team, but Bria Harmon just 13 points, 4-14 from the field, struggled again with her layups inside. Um, uh, only had one assist, and she's a really good passer and got into the lane. But uh, without Cat Forey to kick the ball out to that three-point threat, um, this was not Colin Sale at full strength. Uh, but they 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 really uh, fought really hard and used that press to get back into the game. But a lack of a third scoring option, especially when uh, Relford went down with the injury. Uh, you're looking at your third leading scorer being Relford with seven points. Uh, and it just not not enough pieces there. But I mean, shoot, it it could have been a different game if Forey was healthy and Rilliford was healthy the entire time. Um, you never know. They they definitely would have had more scoring options. But again, Westlake undefeated. Uh, it looks like uh, they're going to win a couple more state championships before all is said and done. Uh, this could be the next uh, dynasty. We saw McEachin win, what, three or four in a row a couple of years ago. It looks like the ball is in Westlake's court to do the same thing, especially with that sophomore class of uh, Brianna Turnage and Raven Johnson. They still got two more years to go, and they might be having another uh, big-time player transferring in there. So Westlake, um, they are definitely the team to beat, and how everything is shaped up, I think Westlake, uh, that is the best team in the state of Georgia And I would still love to see a Westlake-Lovejoy game um, maybe next year. Uh, But Westlake, uh, definitely, they they were battle-tested 30-0, defending state champs back-to-back. They are definitely going to be the favorite to win again next season. Finally, our last championship game of the 2018-19 season, uh, the 8 p.m. game on Saturday at Macon. McEachern versus Meadow Creek. Meadow Creek won it last year. They were looking to repeat. McEachern, of course, undefeated season battle tested. Could they do it all the way? And yes, they could. 62-54, to McEachern defeats Meadow Creek. Um, they finished their season undefeated. They earned their first state title in school history. And this was another good one, Kyle. Yes, sir. And... Uh, foul trouble, foul trouble, foul trouble. That was the story of this game. Um, every time you thought Meadow Creek would be able to make a run, it just couldn't happen because they all kept getting into foul trouble at the same time. And the story here is, you know, uh, it was 38-34 when Jalen Benjamin got hot early in the third quarter. Um, but he picked up his fourth foul with 436 left. 
and, and they were uh, they were down 42 to 34, and then Cooper went to the bench uh, nine seconds later. So you know Jalen Benjamin picks up his fourth foul. He's on the bench, and Cooper goes down with his fourth foul. He goes to the bench. So that neutralizes your best two scorers in the backcourt. Then 57 seconds later. Quentin McElroy and Damian Dunn, they both pick up their fourth foul on a silly away-from-the-ball double foul. Uh, and who does that hurt more? That obviously is going to hurt Meadow Creek more. Uh, so Damian Dunn and um, Jalen Benjamin, your two best isolation scorers, guys that can create their own shots, they're both on the bench at the same time. And, uh, you know, McEachin was up 49-42 going into the fourth quarter, and then it was a four-point lead with 4.49 left. And uh, they put Cooper back in the game. And, uh, you know, at the end there, the the game was over at the 342 mark on, on a on a block and on a free throw. Damien Dunn at his elbow connected with McElroy uh, to the face, and he went out with his fifth foul on a block out. Um, hopefully it was inadvertent, but really just a bad time to be chicken-winging uh, with your forearm. And he fouled out with 52-47 on the scoreboard uh, with the Mustangs down. And uh, they they weren't going to come back after that foul trouble uh, with him going out. And Damian Dunn was an X factor in this one. I thought he was going to have to have a really good game and he was going to have to be big. Uh, he did play 24 minutes, but fouling out killed him. He had nine points, uh, three assists, was just two of four shooting from the field. Um but him going down, that hurt him. Jalen Benjamin had 19 points. Jameer Chaplin had 13 points. Uh, but Meadow Creek, they got killed on the boards, 28 to 12. Um, that that really hurt them a lot. Now, they, they turned over McEachin 22 times to just 14 times from Meadow Creek. But again, with their key, key scores on the bench, just were not able to do anything. And Sharif Cooper only had three points in the second half, but finished with 20. Uh, Isco Cora had 16 points. Alan Breed uh, was huge in the first half, um, hit a bunch of shots. He finished with 15 points, six rebounds. Did turnovers, however. Um, but they, they really had to weather that storm. McEachin hit seven first-half threes, did not hit a three in the second half. And uh, Meadow Creek, it, it was there, it was there, it was there, it was there. But the foul trouble, not letting their best two players um, be on the floor at the at the right time. Uh, and you got to give all the credit in the world to McEachern for winning the state title. They did it the hard way. They went undefeated. They won the GHSA state championship. They beat a really good team. They, you know, everything we talked about was what's going to happen if they get into foul trouble. Well, they got into foul trouble, and Cooper was on the bench. Uh, luckily for them, Meadow Creek's best two scorers were on the bench as well, but um, guys stepped up. Braden Sparks had to play seven big minutes. Jared Bush played 12 minutes. Uh, both those guys did not score, but they were just they were warm bodies out there, warm bodies that were able to at least um, play some defense, and uh, they they found a way, but you got to give credit to McEachin. They knocked down all those shots in the first half, and then they stemmed the tide uh, with a lot of foul trouble. And I know Meadow Creek, they, they really Really, they really feel bad. Really feel bad about you know they see the best player uh, probably in the state this year on the bench for a long stretch, but just were not able to cut into that lead enough uh, due to their own foul trouble. But uh, a very competitive game and a tough way for Meadow Creek to end it. Uh, but impressive for McEachin, best team in the nation, best team in the state. Uh, they finally get that elusive state championship. And maybe the season is not over for McEachern yet. If I'm not mistaken, I saw they accepted their big to Geico's Tournament of Champions, a national tournament with the eight best teams. And I think McEachern is going to go to see if uh, you know they can show it out on the court that they're the best team in the nation. 
Yeah, you would think so, but now they're saying that their starters aren't even going to attend. So if your starters aren't even going to attend, why bother showing up? You already won, then just don't accept the bid. What's the point? Finish your season 30-0. Let another team uh, get that uh, spot to play because, I mean, my goodness, Ramin, if Sharif Cooper's not playing, if Quinton McElroy's not playing, um, Alan Breed's not playing. Jared Jones not going. Isco Coral not going. If those five guys are not going, McEachin, they don't belong on that stage. They haven't, that's not their team. That's not their team. That's not their team. They don't deserve to be on that stage. Those guys, the, the starting five, they should be there. Uh, that's a real shame if they're not going to be able to go. And I just feel like, um, I don't know, it's kind of a slap in the face to Geico Nationals, uh, if, they get that bid and they go and then say, well, we're going to leave our five best players uh, at home. It's really weird. It's really strange. Uh, I don't think it's even fair to those McEachern kids that will be having to play that have played about 15 minutes, 25 minutes all season long. I don't think it's fair for them. And uh, it stinks because I think McEachern would have won that national championship. Um, But alas, let let them decide what they want to do. They want to go on college visits, even though half those guys are all – uh, committed and signed still delivered but uh they're the state champions so they get to do what they want but i do think it really sucks for geico and uh for the ghsa and for those kids that they're not going to be going to compete that covers all 16 2018 19 ghsa state championships they were all making you have a sidebar pull up on sandysfield.com small sample size so far through 53 voters um, 58% of them hated the making venue, 21% loved it, uh, 15% were indifferent, and 5% liked it. Again, small sample size, 53. Uh, what I will be interested in is to see those attendance numbers. GHSA does release how many tickets they sold and the gate numbers um, in their executive meeting minutes. So that's something I will be interested to see, um, really, if the turnout is substantially different just visually looking at pictures looking at you know videos that i saw come out of there kyle it did not look as full as mccamish pavilion looked what did you see uh no no yeah they uh especially for the magnitude of the state championship game the crowd was pretty crappy i know it was probably maybe 80 to 85 percent full tops but uh uh, it was a complete sellout at Buford, and uh, from what I heard, Buford uh, was probably twice as crowded uh, for the uh, the final four between um, Norcross and uh, McEachern. Uh, so the um, you know it was not very good attendance. Tri Cities probably brought the loudest crowd. That, that was one of the best. Villarica had a, a a great crowd as well, but. Uh, none of the games were complete sellouts. There was not standing room only or anything like that. But that's what you get when you go to Macon. Uh, it's not easy to get to for people. And when, you know, I know uh, majority rules, minority rights, uh, but the vast majority of these schools, especially at least a, a bigger classification, uh, they're coming from quote-unquote metro atlanta um so yeah it really did hurt attendance especially for the 7a state championship but it was expected so i'm not gonna blow my top over it but yeah uh, definitely not as crowded as buford city arena was and uh that's just something that you know we're gonna have to live with i guess 
Also, a lot of people on Twitter were asking whether the games will be streamed or why they aren't on uh, on TV, on GPB. We've covered this years past. I think it's the same reasoning. GPB said they couldn't do it. I think the reasoning was when it was in two sites at UGA and Tech, they said they couldn't afford to do it at two sites. Now it's at one site, I guess. Um, NFHS has the rights on a multi-year contract, so it's only available via online streaming. Macon doesn't have the best Wi-Fi or internet connection. So it's going in and out, I heard, but that's the reason for that. And I guess this will be it, Carl, for the eighteen nineteen season in terms of gameplay. And um, before we leave, I would be remiss to mention all of the recaps that we mentioned are online on Sandy Spiel. Final season rankings have also been posted for both girls and boys last Sunday and Monday. Um, final... All state rankings will be out sometime later this week, early next week. So all state teams um, expect those to come out. And I guess that's kind of going to be the last order of business for organized high school team play in the 18-19 season. Yes, uh, that puts a, uh, like I said, a bow and a ribbon on everything. Ramin, it's been another uh, a wonderful run uh, covering the state like it's never been covered before. Uh, couldn't do it without all the help of the players, coaches, parents, fans, media, everybody that helps make this website and this podcast and uh, just everything we do, even on Twitter, uh, covering Georgia high school basketball, the best, the one-stop shop, the uh, just the pinnacle of everything Georgia high school basketball. It takes a lot of hours to do all this stuff. Um, don't make really any money off this at all maybe a, a couple bucks here and there throughout the season but um it's uh it's a thankless job at times but someone must do it for the state remain uh, a lot of great basketball in the state of georgia another uh great year as you said we'll have all state honors coming out very soon probably this weekend and uh again thank you to everybody that has followed us and Till next time, I will be hitting the uh, hitting the summer ball trail, and we'll try to figure out what to expect for the 2019-2020 season. And for Ramin Forgani, this is Kyle Sandy, the owner and founder of SandySpiel.com. Find me at KyleSandy355 on Twitter. We are signing off until our next podcast. Um, we'll try to get them out there periodically. But until then... Thank you, everybody, for listening. 